You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 697 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Thursday evening. It was a very, very busy day in Hawks land, and joining me to talk about all of it, Ben Ladner is here. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be on uh, for the second time now, uh, and I think as many weeks. It's it's kind of all happening in rapid succession here. I'll apologize in advance to the listeners if my voice sounds a little a little frail right, frail right now. It's only because I recorded a podcast and had a choir rehearsal right before this, so uh I apologize for any vocal fry that may come across in the next hour or so. <laughs> yeah, you've been working overtime. Uh, it was a weird day in a lot of respects. I, I actually missed the news of the trade coming down that we're going to talk about here, um, and probably the first half of the podcast or so will be on the Jeff Teague coming home acquisition. But I missed it for a while. I was at work, uh, woke, and I guess woke up in the theory, I guess in the metaphorical form. I came out of a meeting and. Pulled up my phone and I had text galore and Slack notifications galore and uh, very interesting, I will say. Um, people that missed this, if you somehow did, Jeff Teague is coming back to Atlanta um, alongside Travion Graham in exchange for Alan Crabb. That's the full deal. And that was interesting in itself because you normally don't see a trade like this, uh, particularly before the deadline. That was my first thought. I'm going to ask you for your first thought, but mine was kind of like, that. that's it. There's no pick or anything. That's that's just the trade in mid-January. Uh, it's just kind of a strange time to do a deal like this, even if, spoiler, I'm, I'm sure the Hawks you know, accepted it quite quick, uh, quickly because there's no reason that, why they wouldn't have, honestly. Yeah, I, I was surprised, too, when I first saw it. I, I saw just Jeff Teague for Alan Crabb at first, and so I said, okay, you know, that's good trade for the Hawks. Oh, they got Travian Graham too. That's that's a pretty solid return. Who? What did they give up? You know, to kind of match that part. And the answer was nothing. I expected there to be some sort of draft capital or maybe a, I don't know, a Brandon Goodwin or something like that. I don't know if you can trade two-way guys, but um, I was actually in a similar situation to you where I was. This is one of the few days where I did not bring my laptop to practice, and so I was actually at Hawks practice in the little waiting room area watching Sports Center or whatever was on TV, and I saw across the ticker underneath the you know the screen you know, Woj reports the Hawks have acquired Jeff Teague. And so I kind of looked around and like checked my phone, checked Twitter and everything. And sure <laughs> enough, but we hadn't gone in yet to interview players and coaches and everything. So I had to wait to do all of that, then drive home, then start writing about the trade. So I was a little behind on it as well. So I'm glad to hear I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, I have the, it's the one, the pretty much the only time that my situation is an advantage is that I couldn't be at practice today, which meant that I got to write faster. Well, I'd actually have to write it, but, uh, I, I tagged, um, Jeff Siegel and Zach Hood in to do some work for me today, but I was at least able to edit and do things from, I was at work, which isn't really any better, but it was, uh, at least I, at least I wasn't standing in front of players and coaches. There's, there's pluses and minuses to that, I suppose. Um, yeah, we, we actually, we asked Lloyd about it and obviously, you know, the coach can't talk about it at that point. It was not, it's not official. Yeah. yeah. So he gets a couple of questions about it and he, he says like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, Allen's been really good for us this year. We hope he can continue to, to shoot the ball and, and play well for us and yada, yada. And, he was asked about Chris Kirshner, actually, when when Lloyd kind of shot down the first question about Jeff Teague and said, I can't talk about that. Uh, Chris asked, well, you know, you play the Timberwolves in a few weeks. Just uh, Jeff Teague, what have you seen out of him? 
uh, when you're looking forward to that matchup and he still refused to answer it. So smart. Uh, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was a smart <laughs> play by him and kind of a funny scene. Yeah. That was a good, uh, good attempt by Chris Kirshner, by the way, but yeah, you, you can't, you can't do it. And then of course that uh, later on that was announced by the Hawks because it was inevitable. Once, once Woj tweets it, it's almost, almost gold at that point in time. That's what it's, I said. Uh, that's why I figured I was kind of surprised because I figured once Woj tweets it, like, sure. Yeah. You can talk about it. Everything's fair. It's basically happened, but apparently those are not the rules. Apparently, the NBA does not abide by Woj. They kind of do, but not in this <laughs> In spot. some ways, yeah. Not in this spot, I guess. But uh, obviously, if you are a longtime Hawks fan, you will certainly remember Jeff Teague was around for quite some time. He was drafted by the Hawks. He was the starting point guard on the best team in Hawks history. He's been gone for three and a half seasons now. He was traded, actually, for the pick that became Torian Prince prior to the draft in 2016. And as people have noted, I'm not the first person to put, to put this out, Alan Crabb was acquired in a deal for Torian Prince. So... Bringing things full circle there, the, the pick that Jeff was traded for is now, I guess, kind of being used to acquire him back. And not, not not directly, but it was kind of funny. They and turned also, Jeff Teague into Jeff Teague is what you're saying. Yeah, basically. And also, Jeff Teague is the number 19 overall pick, which is the same spot as Kevin Herter and John Collins. So uh, lots of synergy, I suppose, at the moment here. Um, people that didn't follow this going in, it's kind of a weird trade in many reasons, but one of them is that they're all expiring contracts. Jeff Teague is owed about $19 million for this season. Uh, tra- um, on Graham, $1.65 million, and then Alan Crow is about $18.5 million. So the salaries do match, but again, you don't see a lot of just expiring for expiring swaps, particularly when the team that is, quote, buying Jeff Teague is not looking to make the playoffs, probably. You know, the Hawks are not out of the playoffs, but certainly very unlikely to make the playoffs this season. It's not impossible, I suppose. But that kind of made it even weirder that the Hawks clearly got better today in the trade that they made. They give, they give up nothing in the future to do so. And also, you know, kind of swap for an expiring deal, even though it's not necessarily one that will be... Um, I'm not going to play on him in the future. I know it's, it's, it's certainly possible, but it's just kind of weird the way this all sets up, even if, again, like the Hawks have no reason not to do this trade. It was just a situation where it's just one you don't see, and everybody that I talk to, I'm, I'm curious to see what, if you have the same thought. What is Minnesota doing was kind of the question that everybody had that I was hearing. Yeah, I, the, the only way I can rationalize it is if they have another deal that they're hoping to make and they want to use Crab as salary ballast. And I, I, I suppose you could argue... They could have used Teague as salary ballast yeah, too, but I was going to say Teague's, maybe a, Teague's a better player and yeah. uh, similar salary, so it's so weird. maybe maybe there's a deal like kind of in the works, and the other team said no, we don't want Jeff Teague, we want someone else, and so they got Crab to trade. I, I don't know that that'd be a lot of moving parts. It's hard it's hard for me to see them making this trade specifically for another specific trade, but uh, that's the only thing I can really think of is is just getting another wing in who makes a big number who you can trade, maybe a figure. You can recoup some of his value and then flip him again before February 6th. Um, I'm not totally sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Minnesota's obviously been rumored in, you know, with D'Angelo Russell and Golden State and kind of that whole thing. They've been a name that's come up for a long time now. So maybe they're exploring that market. But from the Hawks perspective, I agree with you. This is a trade that is is kind of a win-win for them. You know, you tweeted this earlier. They basically acquire a, a solid backup point guard, fix a glaring hole at virtually no cost with very little downside risk. Uh, and then it's it's not long-term money. You, you kind of fortify that backup unit, which they've, need, they've needed to do for a long time. And so uh, to me, Teague fits in perfectly. And I, I wrote about this today, just about how he fits and how he can help Atlanta specifically. And, you know, he's not a perfect player, but he just, he does enough in areas the Hawks really need solidification that I think he slots in seamlessly. And I think this is a, a smart move from Atlanta's perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that was my big takeaway, which is that there's pretty much no downside here. You know, the Hawks are spending a little bit more money out of Tony Ressler's pocket, about a million dollars or so in raw cash, because they added about $2 million in salary. But of course, we're halfway, halfway through the season, so you figure half the salary's been paid or so. Um, so, you know, Tony takes on some extra money here, and the Hawks do lose a little bit of flexibility with the roster spot that was open. But looking ahead, they're probably going to create at least one or two more by, you know, moves coming up, whether it be trades or buyouts. So I don't think roster spots are going to be a huge problem moving forward. So I, I, you know, I just don't see the downside really at all. The, the upside is, a, I mean, I think it's fairly limited, but at the same time, if this deal is presented to you, there's no reason why you would. I, I, I was trying to think of a reason just to even present the counter argument why the Hawks wouldn't do this trade, and I couldn't come up with one. That, that's how much of a clear win I think this is for Atlanta, even if, again, not a huge upside, like long-term, you know, home run kind of move, but when you can't think, when I can't, especially when I can't think of a, of a downside, as someone who's inherently skeptical, it makes it pretty easy to sell. I just don't even know what the argument against it would be. Yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be you lose more games, so you get a better pick in the draft. But I guess that's it. I mean, I mean but I, even then, like, is it how many games? They're better with Jeff Teague, obviously, but how how many games are they going to win because they have Jeff Teague right. versus I mean, a new one? It's not that. It, many it's games. just kind of the yeah, it's the replacement level idea where sometimes it's a. It's a an average player replacing a profoundly below average player, so the difference looks, you know, outsized compared to the player's actual skill level. But yeah, I mean, it's it's at at most he bumps them, you know, two three wins over the course of a season, if that, you know. I, yeah, I do think that you know if you got an injury to Trey Young, God forbid, we don't want that to happen. But if if you lost Trey Young, you would suddenly be in a much better position right now than you were in before. Right, you already are. But that was one of the things that I brought up in the beginning of the season. We've now seen that a little bit um, in Brooklyn over the weekend. Like if Trey rolls an ankle and misses two games, they pretty. I know they beat Orlando without him, but that was kind of a weird performance. And I think if you just in, in that situation, having a point guard that is a starting level point guard, or we say low end, a low end starter, is really helpful. And they didn't have that before. I do feel bad for Brandon Goodwin as a sidebar. Um, he, he had been playing reasonably well and seemed to be in line, at least in my view, for a roster spot in the relatively near future. That could still happen, by the way. There's nothing to say the Hawks couldn't convert him at some point. But right now, now, now they can't at the moment because they don't have a, a roster spot available. And Goodwin now, I, I presume, is going to lose most or all of his playing time because even if they just elect to play Jeff Teague with Trey Young, I just don't see a lot of minutes for Brennan Goodwin right now. So that's that's unfortunate for a local kid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough blow, and that kind of reminds you of the, I guess, the business side of the NBA and, and just kind of the zero-sum game where, you know, if one player claims a roster spot, that's one player who doesn't get it uh, somewhere else. And in this case, it happens to be Goodwin. I think you make a good point about Teague and just the insurance he gives you if Trey goes down. You know, it, the story of, of Teague's career has always kind of been unremarkable competence. You know, he's a he's a solid ball handler. He's a solid shooter. He's a solid distributor at times was a solid defender. I'm not sure he's quite that level of defender anymore, but he's always just been a capable guy, you know, steward of the offense who can get you through your sets. He can run your offense. He's never going to be, he was a one-time all-star, but he's never going to be like this super dynamic all NBA level of playmaker. But for the, the role that the Hawks are asking him to fill, he's kind of the perfect guy because he just, he can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. He's got okay size for a point guard, pretty good strength and can still defend a little bit. And he's, he's just like, you can feel safe with, with your offense in Jeff Teague's hands. And I think for the Hawks, it was glaringly obvious that when Trey young was off the floor, they did not feel safe trusting their offense to anyone. And so now you at least have, you know, 48 minutes of, of competent point guard play. And, and Goodwin was giving you some of that, 
but he was he was a little unreliable at times. He only seemed to shoot the ball well on the road, which was strange. <laughs> um, and and you know he's just inherently he has some disadvantages because he's undersized and he's not as experienced. And Teague just has a little bit more more expertise and a little bit more experience that he can bring to the table. And I think if you're Atlanta, you feel really good about that. Just having someone you trust behind Trey Young, and then you know maybe at times you could see them playing together. It's the guy who. Teague, I think, has a pretty scalable skill set where he, like I said, can play on or off the ball. Maybe you see them together. So you can just fit him, him into different roles that you maybe couldn't with Goodwin. Yeah, Teague does check a lot of boxes, like you said, in terms of backing up Troy Young. The only thing that he really doesn't bring that I think ideally the Hawks might want long-term in a backup point guard is a little bit more size to be able to play more with Trey. Uh, Travis Schlank did talk to Chris Kirchner of the athletic today um, in sort of uh, an interview that, that they did about the trade. And he referenced the fact that they plan on playing those guys together a little bit. That makes sense. You, you don't have Jeff Teague to play him, you know, 12 minutes a game as a backup point guard. Um, he's overqualified for that role. I, I do think that Jeff, you know, he's not, he's not the same guy that he was in Atlanta in his prime where I thought he was probably like a top 15 ish point guard in the league. He isn't that anymore. Um, if he's your starter, you're not thrilled with it. But even then, I think he's probably somewhere around the 30th best point guard in the league. It's not like he's a bad, bad, bad starter. And as a backup, he's very good. Uh, you probably won't find more than five backup point guards in the league that are better than he is. So it's um, it's kind of a win-win, like you said. You know, I'll be interested to see how they defend with Trey and Jeff on the floor together. Um, Teague is, like you said, not awful defensively, but especially as, as an off-guard um, he's not that big. I mean, he is bigger than you might think he would be, but not like a great size point guard. And at, the, at his age at 30, I believe it's 32, oh, sorry, 31 now, he'll be 32 in May. I don't think that's going to go particularly well defensively for long stretches with him and Troy Young in the backcourt. But offensively, he would be, I mean, there aren't that many players on this, on this roster right now that are not as good as he is, off, I mean, that are better than he is, I should say, offensively. Jeff Teague is a competent is a good word that you that you used, offensive player, and he does a lot of things pretty well. And by the way, he's shooting the ball at like not, not a career best level, but one of his career um, best seasons from three point range so far. So I think he provides that element as well. And the Hawks could certainly use the floor spacing even. And I think you can get away with playing them together now more than you could maybe when like during the era when T was first on the Hawks because you're seeing more teams play two guards, even three guard lineups with multiple point guards on the floor. So I think. At the very least, there will be certain matchups where you can play those two together for long stretches, and then maybe the Hawks just do it anyway, even against you know teams that play a little bit bigger in the backcourt. I think one of the big advantages here is is what this does for Kevin Herter, where I, Lloyd kind of talked about this, I think, yesterday, where he was talking about the difference between being a secondary ball handler and being a backup point guard, and how they were kind of asking Herter to do both, and, and they'd rather him be kind of a, a secondary ball handler without being the backup, like the pure backup point guard. And I think now he's going to be in a position where anytime he's on the floor, he's going to be able to be a secondary guy. He's going to be able to attack from the second side, attack closeouts, run, you know, pick and rolls against a moving defense after Teague or Trey Young has already kind of put the possession into motion and, and compromised the defense, maybe collapsed it a little bit. And I think Herter will have more advantages to work against than, than he does now because you see on the second unit sometimes where he's I mean, there was a stretch where he was literally the backup point guard. Yep. Um, and, and I think, you know, he's he's OK at that, especially for a second year guy. But I think ideally you want him, like I said, working against a defense that's already in motion, work attacking closeouts and, and kind of, you know, being able to pick his spots a little bit more. And I think now he's able to do that because Teague can take some of the pressure off of him. He can initiate the action and then Herder, DeAndre Hunter, even Cam Reddish. Those guys can kind of, you know, find where they fit in 
within, I guess, around his creation. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how they sort of navigate all this. Like I alluded to it a second ago, but you know, I don't think Jeff Teague would be overly thrilled um, playing a very limited role on this team in a contract year. So I do think that you're going to see less of those, you know, on ball minutes for guys like Herter or even, um, you know, Bembry or whoever was whoever, whoever else was doing that. I think it's mostly if everybody's healthy, you're pretty much going to have Young or Teague on the floor at all times. I would imagine probably all the time unless there's an injury. So. There's some interesting role manipulation happening there, and again, it helps you because Jeff Teague is better than the other options. Like, for instance, Teague's just a better basketball player than guys like Bembry are off the bench, uh, or Crab, who he's, I guess, t- technically replacing in the rotation. He's just better than those guys are, so as a team, it upgrades you, and then, of course, at point guard, you now have 48, pretty pretty solid to even, obviously, better than that with Trey minutes, um, and that's that's good to see after not having that so far this season. I, I can already hear people yelling at their... Uh, podcast players talking about why the Hawks didn't already do a move like this earlier, and I don't have an argument for you on that. They needed a point guard the whole time, but hey, they fixed it now. I can already see Travis Schlenk. Um, I have not, I've not talked to Travis, but um, this is an e- it's a pretty easy sell job for the front office to be like, by the way, we fixed we, fi- we fixed the problem, guys. Look over here. We fixed the problem. Yeah, they're one out of two. Now they just got to get a center, uh, which maybe we can talk <laughs> about that in a little bit. One we more will. point I want to make on, on Teague, though, is I wonder if this I wonder if this allows Trey Young to work off the ball a little bit more. Um, you know, he's been obviously in such a, a central role to this offense and carrying such a heavy usage. I think he's got like the third highest usage rate in the league this season, and he just always has the ball in his hands. You add in his assist percentage, it's like everything is coming from Trey Young. And he's a really effective and a really dangerous off-ball player. Um, it, he just hasn't had the chance to do that very often. And so now that guys like Herter are healthy, Collins is back, and you add in a guy like Teague— I wonder if we see Trey work without the ball more, coming off screens, you know, getting more corner threes, which he rarely takes in this offense because he just, you know, by nature of the pull-up jump shot, it's hard to take that shot from the corners. So I think this is an opportunity, especially when you play those two guys together, this is an opportunity where Pierce and, and you know, the coaching staff can maybe draw up some looks for Trey to get some some easier off-ball threes coming off of screens, backdoor cuts, you know, kind of get into floater range without the ball. Um, and maybe have to work a little bit less hard on offense and save more energy for the end of the game or for the end of the season or just the long term in general. I think this takes a lot of pressure off of him. And I'm curious to see, I guess, how Atlanta leverages that into better shots for Trey. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And in, in fact, I have uh, someone on the Peachtree Hoop staff, Glenn Willis, has actually already written, or pe- as people listen to this, maybe even already has been published a little bit on Trey playing off the ball potentially with Jeff. Because that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, We've talked about Trey Young playing off the ball a lot already in his year and a half in the NBA. Um, you know, when he does it, it looks good usually. He's not done a whole lot. Part of that situation, part of that is that I'm not sure he's super comfortable with it right now. But that's a good opportunity for the Hawks now that, you know, with this 9-32 and record, there's no, there's some room for experimentation. And I think there's nothing bad that can come from asking Trey to kind of do this a little bit more. Even if it doesn't, you know, the team is still the best with him, with him having the ball in his hands. But... For his own development, for the team's development in the future, having him get reps off the ball um, as one of the team's best shooters as well, um, to kind of use that and leverage it in space and all that stuff. There's uh, a lot of potency there, potentially, if Trey gets um, some more craft working off the ball. And now that he actually has someone to run the offense while he's doing that, it might look better. So that's good. Yeah, and I think for smaller guys, you know, that's that's more of a necessary element of their game. You look at guys like Steph, uh, these, these smaller point guards who... They can't always do what James Harden and Luka Doncic and LeBron James do with the ball in their hands because I just think their limitations, their physicality is not the same. 
their their height, their finishing at the rim is just inherently worse most of the time. And so they have to f- kind of create those advantages in other ways, moving without the ball, you know, relocating. We see Steph do that all the time, coming off of screens. I think that's an, a more necessary element of your game for, for, for guys like that. Um, just to kind of use some numbers here, Trey is 31 of 59 on catch and shoot threes this season. That's so, according so, to the, sounds pretty good. It, it's pretty good, <laughs> better than 50%. And obviously a very small sample size. And so you'd maybe expect that to come down a little bit as he, you know, takes more of those shots. But I mean, this is a good shooter. Like it, it, Trey Young is not like a, a, an average shooter or below average shooter. Like this is an, an elite shooter who shoots 37% on threes despite taking mostly extremely deep, extremely contested, extremely difficult off the dribble shots. And so you know, if you if you add in some easier catch and shoot looks, yeah, you would expect that number to be in the the low to mid, even high 40s. And so um, I think that that number is obviously an encouraging sign. And even if it goes down a little bit, I think I think there's reason to believe that he can still be a real weapon uh, in that area of the offense. I totally agree. And I'm looking forward to seeing it more because uh, anything at this point, it's all uh player development stuff for the second half of the season, which we'll uh, talk about, I think, maybe a little bit later on in the podcast. Okay, before we get to... Uh, By the way, if I can add this in, yeah, Kevin Hurt, 45 of 93 on catch and shoots while I've got this... Uh, also this pretty good. Page, the, those is... two guys can shoot, I think. Um, they, they've been... I'm not sure if you've heard this before, Ben, but they've been compared to the Splashbacks before at some point in, in time. I have I have heard that. I have heard they're the next Stephen Clay. I've also heard that many times, but alas... And Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter are the next Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> So, listen, if you get if you get Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George on the same team, I, th- I think that's a pretty good team. I would venture to say that. That would be a title contender, I would imagine, uh, in the near future. Uh, <laughs> before I ask you about Travion Graham and some other stuff, I want to talk yes. to the good people about the good folks at my bookie because between the NFL playoffs, the NBA and college basketball, it's time to get off the sidelines and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're going to bet anywhere this season, do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to two, sorry, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with if you use promo code locked on NBA to activate the offer. Once again, it's promo code locked on NBA. Take advantage of this generous offer from my bookie. Visit mybookie.ag today using promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, Ben. There is another component to the trade. We could spend we could spend some more time on Jeff Teague if you have any more thoughts, but I have to ask you about Travion Graham because he isn't in, he's involved in this trade. He's obviously uh, the less consequential name in the deal and the far less famous name in the deal, but because this is a deep dive podcast... Travion Graham is someone I've actually kind of liked for a long time, but Me too. he doesn't shoot the ball very well. Uh, that is the big question with Graham. He had one season where he made shots, and every and every other stop he's not made shots, including he has some really, really unsightly numbers on cleaning the glass offensively the last couple of years. It is really not good, but he, he can guard. He's still relatively young, and he's cheap, so the Hawks might try to use him a little bit here. Yeah, I'm a fan of his as well, like you. And and I mean, you you touched on it. He's he's an offensive liability at this point. You know, he showed some flashes when he was with Charlotte his first two years. I think he shot like 41, 42 percent from three. It was one of those small sample size seasons. Like right. he, he took like one and a half a game or something like that, and it was just was not uh, not not real. I don't think. Yeah, it's uh, let's see, forty of ninety seven that season. So yeah, he, as he shot the ball more, the percentage has has gone down. He's only taken eighty three threes. This season, um, that's about two and a half a game, which obviously not a high volume, but he's not going to be a high volume. Like he's he's 
a very, very, very low usage player. He's kind of Royce O'Neal without a jump shot to me. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a valuable player, whether, you know, whether he's hurting you on offense, which he probably is, but I think defensively for a guy who's six, five, he has quite a bit of defensive versatility. He's really strong. He's quick. He actually guarded Trey young for a lot of the game when the Timberwolves visited Atlanta in November. And he'll, he'll guard up to small forwards, power forwards, uh, probably not going to switch on centers, but he, he can switch across three or four positions pretty capably. So I think he adds an element of defensive versatility that Alan Crabb did not. Obviously, um, and and even guys like DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, I don't think do just because they're rookies. They they're not quite as strong as Graham, and they don't have the physicality. So I think he brings an element that Atlanta doesn't really have in its rotation right now, even if it's it's one that is not necessarily as essential as something like Jeff Teague's on ball creation. Um, I think he could be a useful role player, and to get him as kind of a throw in in this deal to me seems like good negotiating on the Hawks' part. Uh, and something that, you know, he's making the minimum this season. So he could be another guy that they try to keep around if he plays well in the next 41 games and they can get him at the minimum again or somewhere around like the biannual exception. I think he might be a guy worth bringing back. I mean, that's a long way away. But to me, he's he's a 10, 12, maybe 15 minute a game guy uh, if he's in the rotation. Yeah, and we'll see what they want to do there. Like. I am not going to tell you that I know what the Hawks think about Travion Graham because I don't. Um, you know, th- he could just be a throw-in for money purposes to help Minnesota save some money here, or the Hawks could have wanted him, or both. I don't really know. Um, and with that, I'm not sure if he's going to play or not. That's the other thing. Like, if if the Hawks are fully healthy, they do have a lot of wing options, and he may not be one that they want to look at, or they might want to. I- I'm not really. I actually don't know. So we'll see. Um, I, I do think that it'd be worth taking a look at him. Um, obviously, the jump shot is limiting. If he's going to shoot in the 20s from three, it's going to be tough, um, particularly because the Hawks already have a guy in Bembry who not – I mean, they're, they're kind of similar in some ways, um, but Bembry has, of course, been around for a while. He's a little bit – I think he's actually a little bit better shooter than Graham, which which kind of scares me because um, Bembry's not a great shooter. But it's uh, – yeah, we'll see what they look like if they want to give him a chance. I think at some point we'll probably see Travion Graham. I mean, the Hawks, by the way, I should say this. The Hawks can, if they wanted to, they are allowed to trade either Teague or Graham or both. Um, there's no restrictions on those deals because the Hawks acquired them with, with cap space. Um, without going into all the minutiae, they are allowed to trade those guys again. So people were asking if the Hawks were going to buy out Jeff Teague or buy out Travion Graham. And I think the answer is no right now. If, if Teague came out and was just terrible for three weeks, Maybe they could look to trade him again or buy him out or something like that if he, if he just doesn't want to be here. But um, I think at this moment in time, the plan is to just have those guys around and see what happens. Yeah, and with Graham, it it, it should be noted, they're not going to play him over DeAndre Hunter or Cam no. Reddish. I, mean, no. I think that's it's obvious, but I think it's worth saying. like They're going to prioritize <laughs> those guys' development over, you know, 15 minutes of passable wing play from Travion Graham. I think he's, I think he's probably in a battle with... Maybe Bembry, maybe you know, if you get deeper, um, Charlie Brown. Like, I think for right now, he probably takes some Alan Crabb minutes because Alan Crabb is no longer there. Uh, I, I would project it. I mean, this is all rough because it's not exactly. This is just the simplest way to put it. I think you can pretty much assign the good the Goodwin minutes recently to Jeff Teague, of course, and then some Crabb minutes to Baby Graham, and we'll see who's healthy on, on any given night. Um, I think you know with Evan Turner out of the rotation or really out of the roster for the most part at the moment, there's some minutes to be found. For Travion Graham, but you're right. They're not going to come at the expense of anybody that actually the Hawks care about long term. So we'll see how that goes. But we've, we've seen Paul Watson in recent days. Like they, they they always have a couple minutes laying around for some guys to evaluate. Yeah, and, and I wonder if like Teague and Graham, if if 
some of those minutes, not many of them, but some of them could come from Trey and Kevin Herter because those guys have been playing a lot recently. And I, I don't know that the Hawks necessarily want to play them 37, 38 minutes a game. I do, I do, I do agree with you with that. Um, you know, I'm not a fully sure about Lloyd's philosophy on that. He's kind of gone back and forth at times. You know, under Bud, basically nobody ever played more than 37 minutes a game, in a game unless it was like an overtime game or incredibly close. Trey, they've had to lean on so much to be competitive so far. That is a sidebar of the Teague acquisition is that if they if they wanted to pull back on Trey a little bit now, they could. It wouldn't be necessarily because he can't handle it because Trey's been pretty durable. But, you know, a smaller guard, you don't want to put too much on him in a season where the playoffs are probably not going to come. So it would probably make some sense to me anyway in March and April to not play Trey, Trey Young 38 minutes a game. That wouldn't. You know, I get that the numbers and all that stuff will be there, but um, he doesn't need to play that much once the season is kind of out of hand in terms of win-loss record. So he's still going to play a lot and probably leave the team in minutes, but there is some value to keeping him fresh. I agree. And, and, and Pierce was actually asked about that today, and he said, you know, we're always keeping the long term in mind, and we want to make sure these guys can can be durable not only for, you know, game to game, season to season, but for their entire careers. Like, they want them to be fresh in their primes and be able to, and he mentioned the playoffs too, being able to go into a playoff series and a playoff run healthy and fresh and having legs. So I, I think, I think they're aware of how many minutes those guys are playing and they want to keep them low. But like you said, it's just in order to be competitive, they've had to play Trey and, and, and Herter and Collins when he's been available and even Hunter at times, heavy, heavy minutes. And it's hard in a close game down the stretch when Trey's already at 36 minutes to say, yeah, you know, we're going to pull him. We're going to keep him on the bench for the rest of this one. <laughs> yeah, we, like, we've seen we've seen the fan reaction when he does not play in the fourth quarter. Uh, there are times when I hear from fans that want him to play the last quarter and a half <laughs> because I, I understand why that come, where it comes from, though, because it's, you know, famously, when whenever he left the court, the results were not good, which is why they go trade for Jeff Teak. But it is a good point. Like, you know, it, it never feels right to take him out in the fourth quarter, but. Maybe it won't be so stark now. People will be okay with it when Trey just absolutely has to rest, which does happen. Yeah, I've had my dad text me before, like, "Why isn't Trey? Trey should play the whole fourth quarter." I'm like, "Dad, it's <laughs> you can't play it until like 12 straight minutes of NBA basketball." He's like, "LeBron does it." I'm like, "Dad, not really. LeBron is like not he. We can't just compare everyone to LeBron. That's that's not a fair standard. No, like, this is a really it's really hard to play." that many minutes at this level like it's 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 much more difficult than you think yeah absolutely i think this is gonna be the last question i have for you on the trade itself um jeff teague the hawks have his bird rights now he's making a lot of money right now i think he's, he's gonna have to take less money on his, on his next deal because he's i'm not sure he's a starter anymore i know he's not a starter here um do you think, and Travis Travis Schleich did allude to this in the Chris Kirshner uh, interview that he did today, that they have some interest in maybe bringing Jeff Teague back. For me, that's something that the GM kind of has to say, but I do want to ask you, is that viable looking ahead? I think if you get in a bidding war with a team that needs a point guard to start with Jeff Teague, you're going you're to lose that. But is there a path in your mind to having Jeff come back as a backup beyond the season? Yeah, I mean, if you can get him at a fair number, like, you know, 10 12 million dollars maybe less than that that might even be on the high end but um you know he's at like we've heard it all year like not only have they lacked a backup point guard who can who can have an impact on the court but i think one common theme of the season is they've, they've lacked like a vocal veteran and and teague is not the, the i was gonna say he, he's not a vocal world, veteran <laughs> but he, he is a veteran with experience who who these guys can learn from and i think having that guy behind trey and around him in the locker room can have value that doesn't necessarily show up on the court. And I think a year ago I would have told you that's nonsense that, you know, why would you pay for that kind of thing? Uh, it doesn't matter. But I think 
I, I've learned over the last year, like that stuff is important. It does matter. Um, and I think having a veteran like that in the locker room who, you know, maybe you would want him to be okay with it. You certainly want, wouldn't want to sign him to a deal to come back and be a backup. And then he's disgruntled. And then you kind of, you, you lose him a little bit. You wouldn't want that to happen. But if he's okay with that, if he buys into it, I think there's a lot of value in having that guy in the locker room. And then obviously if he can, if you can ease him kind of out of his prime through his prime, um, as a backup point guard. And just, like I said, get those, those capable, competent minutes on the second unit. I think that has a lot of value. And, and like the Hawks are going to need a backup point guard next year too. Cause like we've been saying, Teague is a free agent, so it's gotta be somebody. And I think they've learned their lesson that they can't go into the season without a backup point guard. So it'll be someone and, and, you know, Teague, if he's on the team, if they have his bird rights, he might be the most obvious candidate. Yeah. I think the biggest thing as to whether you want to invest, you know, 10 ish million on Jeff Teague is whether he can play with Trey. I think I have very little doubt that Jeff Teague would be a good backup point guard. I have no doubt about that, honestly, but you can't get into what he's probably going to command. If you are the Hawks, because you have a, starter who is fantastic you can't be paying top dollar for backup money unless he can play with them so that that's that's the part of the second half of the season that i think if you're if you want if you're in the camp that you want jeff t to be here around beyond this year you need to be rooting for that to go well because that that's that's the one for me is if, he, if they can play together then you can justify an investment in in jeff t for the future if they can't then you're paying for a 15 minute a game backup and at that point you can't pay 10 million dollars a year so it's it's interesting kind of give and take there and that's been my archetype the entire time for an ideal backup for trey young as someone who can play with him because otherwise you're just use the minimum and get a veteran get, get whatever veterans available that year to to be a stopgap um because if you're going to pay real money, it's got to be somebody that can kind of do multiple things. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. Um, let's transition a little bit here. There was another report, not quite as big of news because it was just a report, but Chris Haynes reported on Thursday that the Hawks are, quote, no longer engaging, end quote, with the Detroit Pistons in talks for Andre Drummond. That was a mild surprise, you know, not anything earth shattering. But um, in the same report, Haynes said that the Hawks are, quote, Seeking to remain patient, knowing there'll be options to improve via the draft and during free agency. End quote. Um, I was I'm on that team the entire time. I never really thought it was a good idea to trade for Drummond in season. But what what did you make of uh, that reporting? And I should note that could still change because it's still early. I agree with you, and apparently the Hawks as well. Um, I I also never really. I mean, I was I was kind of lukewarm at first when that when that report initially came out. But the more I thought about it, it just to me, it doesn't make sense to trade for a guy who's not like a, a reliable offensive force or a game-changing defender, and I don't think Drummond is either of those things. And so, and there's also the problem that he's he's 26 and I think is declining already, athletically, you know, skill-wise. He he just you know he's kind of either plateaued or started to decline in a lot of facets. So adding him to this core and keeping around for the long term because he's going to be a free agent next summer in all likelihood just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And so. I think it's smart of them to to realize, hey, like we might draft someone like James Wiseman, you know, a a big man in the draft who's going to be, you know, more on the timeline of Trey Young and Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter, someone who can fit in with him a little bit better and can grow with us. And so I think waiting on that, being patient, exploring the free agent market makes a lot of sense. The piece mentioned like the Hawks could go after Drummond in free agency yep. if it gets there. That that makes a little bit more sense because you're not giving up an asset to get him. But again, if he's if he's commanding thirty thirty three million dollars a year, I wouldn't want to pay that much for Andre Drummond because I think there's a pretty 
steep drop off between like the eighth best center in the league and almost everybody else, you know, and, and there, there becomes a point where it's just not worth it to pay more than like $10 million a year to, to a center because you can find replacement level value at a pretty low price. The minimum, in fact, in a lot of cases, uh, for, you know, at that position, like you can find someone who can rebound and protect the rim at a fairly low cost. Cause there's just a lot of those guys kind of floating around in free agency and, and, you know, on the, on the buyout market, trade market, whatever it is, uh, you can find that at a, at a fairly low cost. So to me, like Steven Adams is a much better and, and I think, um, better fit, better target, better fit with this team. And the piece mentioned from Chris Haynes, had mentioned that they, they're still pursuing Steven Adams and, and are still, you know, exploring that possibility. I think he's better than Drummond. I think he'd make more sense with this core. Um, and I think he'd, he'd help them more in the immediate. So to me, I think the Hawks dodged a bullet on this one. Um, and, and, you know, again, they could get back into that discussion for Drummond, but for the time being, I think they kind of played their cards correctly here. Yeah. I mean, Adams has been the other popular name, of course, the entire time. And the difference there is that he's under contract for next season and Drummond is not. So I, I think that, you know, you can quibble with who's better. I, I do think that they're fairly close overall, and Drummond's numbers are more impressive because he's just kind of been more of a focal point. But they're both good players. I mean, they both very much help the Hawks immediately, but there's more safety in Adams because he's going to be around, you would imagine. And, um, I, you know, the point about Drummond as a free agent target, he was always going to be linked, linked to the Hawks in free agency. That was always going to happen because the Hawks have a ton of money available, and Drummond's going to be one of the few guys on the market that's going to be commanding a big salary. So that was that that, that reporting was always going to be out there. The, the trade stuff is just weird. Like, like you said, it does make more sense as a free agent possibility, but free agency doesn't happen until July. And if the Hawks, you know, get a pick where Wiseman or a Kongwu from USC is the best fit, best player available, you're not going to want to draft a center, one of those two guys in the top seven picks, and then give Andre Drummond a four-year, $130 million contract. Like, once you make that investment in the draft, if it happens, by the way, then you would certainly not want to turn around and pay top, top, top dollar for a center. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts there. I, and I think my whole problem, at least most of my problem, was that if, if you're going to trade for Drummond, you are almost boxed into a corner to where you, you know, if you don't sign him, you're going to look silly. But if you do sign him, you might look silly too. So it's it was kind of all downside for me if you traded for him. Um, again, if they, if, they can get him, if they get him in free agency, if they, if they get a pick in the draft that's not a center, if they decide he's the best use of their money, I'm not going to scream and yell about it because I, I think he is a good player. But the first point you made is one that I've said as well. Like, it's tough to pay a lot of money for a center long term if he does not game change for you on either end of the floor. And I, and I know Drummond is an elite rebounder. He's one of the best of all time, literally, as a rebounder. He's fantastic. But individual rebounding is not on my huge high list of priorities. And defensively, he's pretty good. He's not great. And offensively, I'm not even sure he's pretty good. Like, maybe he is. He's pretty good, maybe. But that kind of combination does not lead me to want to pay $30-plus million a year for a center, probably on the tail end of his prime, maybe even out of it by the time, by the time he leaves Atlanta in that, in, that, in that scenario. It's just not a scenario that I love, even if I totally get it because the Hawks need a center and we all know it. And I'll say this. I, I think he could benefit. I think he could look better on offense on the Hawks than he does on the Pistons. Cause I agree. He's not going to be posting up. He's rolling to the basket. It's just a more simplified role. But I, I agree with you. I don't think he's a game-changing offensive player. I don't think he's a game-changing defensive player as a rim protector or a switch guy or anything. I know he has good block and steal rates, but you know, just the overall impact I don't think has ever really been there. 
Um, if, and if we're comparing him to a guy like Adams, you know, the, the rebounding, I, I'm with you. I think individual rebounding is is probably overrated as a just a pure box score metric. It's more about does your team get the defensive rebounds while you're on the floor? And for me, Adams kind of typifies that idea where he's not a we saw this for years when he played with Russell Westbrook, but he's not a huge individual defensive rebounder. But he's a great box out guy. He's super physical and his teams always rebound better when he's on the floor. And so like that to me helps more than getting a guy like Drummond who's going to gobble up a bunch of rebounds. But, you know, they're probably rebounds that his team would have gotten anyway. And so whereas Adams, I think, helps like actually creates more of an advantage on the glass, even if it doesn't necessarily show up in the box score. The other thing with that, too, is I don't have any intel on this, but it feels to me like. Adams would command less on the open market than Drummond would. And, I think and that's not... probably true. I mean, just just the way that not every GM, and I think the GMs are getting better about this, but I, I think there are always going to be some GMs that are drawn to the box score numbers that Drummond has. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, also it'll be a year later because Adams is, again, signed for another season. He's fully right. under control, whereas Drummond wouldn't be. But yeah, I tend to agree. I'm not sure that's the way it should be, but I agree that that's probably what would happen. If you just put those guys on the market together, Drummond probably gets more money, and I'm not sure that's actually uh, what I would be doing. Yeah, and I think that if the Hawks trade for Adams, which is obviously purely speculative at this point, I think that works in their favor because if they, you know, if they do keep him, you said he's under contract for another year. If they keep him around till he expires, he becomes a free agent. If they can sign him, who we think is a better player than Drummond, at a lower number than Drummond will get, that's you're obviously getting better value for that. And so, also, also by the way, just kicking it down a little bit, not to interrupt you, but. If you have his bird rights, which you would in that in that scenario, you could spend a bunch of money this summer and then kind of maximize your flexibility because once you start paying John Collins what he's probably going to make and extension time kicks in for Trey Young, um, kicking the can down the road on when you have to decide on a big on a big center contract has value too because right now we all know how much the Hawks have in flexibility for this summer, but the following summer they could have a lot of money. But they also could have tied up some of it already, and if if you're using bird rights to sign Stephen Adams, that kind of allows you more flexibility. We're we're getting deep in the weeds there to some degree, but um, I would again just rather, even if you think Drummond's better, and I actually think I might rather have Drummond at this very moment. But even then, it's it's close enough where, you know, the flexibility with Adams, the cost certainty for another year, etc. I would rather do that. But by the way. The Thunder should be asking for more than they've ever asked for for, for Adams right now because they're actually in the playoffs, which makes it unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that and, was, and that's, we all that's assumed that, that was going to happen, and it's, uh, it's not. Like, like the, the better the Thunder have played, I kind of think, yeah, you know, it might be tough for the Hawks to to get him away from that if, if they if they keep winning. But I mean, they still they, they should still trade. I mean, as a sidebar, the Thunder, I, it's been a great story. They're playing great. If you're the Thunder, you don't just take him off the market now, do you? Like that that seems kind of silly to me. Maybe you maybe you ask for more. Because you're in the playoffs, and it would probably upset your fans a little bit to trade him. But ultimately, they're not winning a playoff series this year, I don't think. So, like, what's the what's the real impact in the moment? I think you might consider it still. But I do think that you have to actually impress the Thunder with an offer in a way that you probably didn't have to six months ago. Yeah, I'm with you. And you could also, if you're the Thunder, you could also say, hey, look, you know, this guy has more value because he's helping us win and you could use yep. that as a selling point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I actually would, I think I'd rather have Adams right now than Drummond. Um, part of that is I'm a big believer in Adams and just his value. And I also just love watching him. I, just the way he plays, I think is fun. Um, Drummond, I just am never, never really been excited by his game necessarily. And if nothing else, 
I think Steven Adams will be a hell of a lot more fun to talk to uh, than Andre <laughs> Drummond would. And so at the very least, Media we, stuff. we could get yes. someone to you know, give us some compelling quotes after games and at practices and things like that. Yeah, uh, Adams is a character, to be sure. Both guys, both guys would help, certainly. Uh, oh, there's one more guy I wanted to ask you about. This actually got reported... I'm trying to remember why. It was a few days ago now. But Mike Scotto, um, formerly of the, of the Athletic, I believe he's not Bleacher Report, um, had a report that the Hawks checked on Jakob Pertle earlier in the offseason, earlier in the season, and that raised my eyebrows. Uh, Jakob Pertle is young, not as good as Adams and Drummond, but someone who um, you'd be trading just for just for everybody knows this. Pertle is a former lottery pick, currently on the Spurs, not going to be a star at any point. But I I like Pertle. I think he's a starting caliber center, and the fact that you're you'd be getting him now is interesting because he will be a free agent this summer, but he'll be he'll be restricted. Unlike Drummond, who the Hawks would have no control over, they could match any offer on Pirtle, and that has a lot of value, particularly at center, because the center market in restricted free agency is always perilous, and I think the Hawks might be able to get a pretty good value on him. So that one really intrigued me. It's not it's not nearly as sexy as Adams, especially not as sexy as Drummond, but um, as sort of an off the radar. Eyebrow razor. I, I think trading for trading for Jakob Pertle would be very interesting. I agree, and you'd you'd give up less to get him. I think, yep. um, and so he could you could get more value. And and I also think he, you know, it feels like he's not going to have a huge market in restricted free agency. Part of that maybe because I think his value's been suppressed a little bit in San Antonio because their their front court rotation's just been kind of kind of wonky at, at times. And he you know, doesn't play. He he's proven his value at at on defense, but. Uh, he doesn't play the same kind of role he'd play with the Hawks, and I think for most other teams. And so you don't really get a great look at how he would fit if you're a GM on your particular team. And I think for the Hawks, I, that would be a, a a good fit because he's a I think he's a solid defender, great rim protector, has decent mobility. He can get out and switch a little bit. Very smart. I think he came into the league as just a really smart, instinctive player, and he's only gotten better since then. And like you said, the team control with restricted free agency is big. Having the you know, if you could get him three, four years at a pretty low number annually, you know, you're locking yourself into a guy who has maybe less upside and less impact than a guy like Drummond or Adams. But if you can get better value for him and then lock in a better player, like a a close to max level guy at a different position, then you've, you've then kind of allocated your resources more effectively than you would have if you paid big money for a center, which like we said is at this point, in the NBA's history is not the smartest move for a team to make. So he, he's an interesting guy. You know, I, I don't know exactly what a deal would look like for him right now, but uh, if the Hawks could bring him in, he's at the very least, he's worth kind of exploring, taking a shot on. And then he, he's also a guy you can give up on if things don't work out because you know, that the, the cost of getting him isn't going to be super high. There won't be a huge sunk cost. And then if he leaves in restricted free agency, then, you know, you, you haven't lost much there. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I like to hold off on talking about players until there's an actual report. So I've had Pirtle in my mind a few different times, but now that it's been reported by a real reporter, I want to talk about it a little bit. And I do think that, you know, again, he's not he's not terribly sexy, but there is certainly a world where Yaka Pirtle is a competent starting center, making a relatively low figure. And that is really appealing to a team like the Hawks. Because for all the talk about Drummond and Adams, I think ultimately... Unless you have an elite level center, you don't want to be paying a ton of money for that guy. So Pirtle would check that box. Um, it wouldn't be sexy, but we'll see if they elect to go down that road. But um, also, as a sidebar, if if the Hawks 
and this this would be obviously they have to decide this later because if they traded for him, they already have his bird rights, etc. But um, as a target, I think if even if they didn't trade for him, he would be an appealing target for me in free agency, and the Spurs could match. But if the Hawks, for instance, did get a Wiseman or did get a a Kongwu in the draft, and you wanted to sort of pair that pair that guy with another someone who could sort of share the load a little bit in the front court, Pirtle is on the age curve of the Hawks. He's fairly young. He's a you know obviously being just finishing finishing up his rookie scale contract. He just he he checks a lot of boxes for me. Is he that much better than Alex Len? I don't know. Not that much better. I think he's a little bit better. And you know. You have to have 48 minutes at center, and the Hawks haven't had 48, 48 minutes at center this year. So, uh, yeah, sign me up. I'm not sure. Again, it all, it all comes down to what you have to trade, and that's the thing about this where it's actually almost easier for the Hawks to trade for Drummond or Adams because they make so much money, and the Hawks just have that Parsons contract sitting out there. <laughs> um, it's easier to construct deals around that and maybe the Brooklyn pick, whereas with Pirtle, I'm not sure you want to trade a first-round pick for him. And even if you did, you have to match salary, and there's not the negative salary in the way that Parsons is. There's just a lot of give and take there. Yeah, and he's, I mean, to me, if Alex Len keeps shooting the ball like this, Pirtle's pretty clearly better just because, like, I think he does a lot of the same stuff on offense. And then defensively, he's just more dynamic. Like like I said, he can switch he's a little a bit athlete. more. Yeah, yeah, much faster, rotates, you know, more quickly and, and protects the rim a little better, I think. Although Len's been better at that recently. He's... He's kind of attacked the ball a little bit more in, in recent games. But still, I think you're getting more with Pirtle there. And he's he's younger, you know, I think has has more upside than Len. Len, to me, is kind of close to his ceiling, whereas Pirtle maybe has a little bit more to explore there. Uh, a, a better role man, to me, where he can get up for lobs and, and dunks and finish at the rim, whereas Len's more groundbound, going to shoot floaters and kind of stop in the in the short roll and go from there, maybe take one dribble and finish from eight feet, whereas Pirtle's getting all the way to the rim. And that's pretty valuable too. not going to be a, a floor spacer like Len has shown he can be. And like, I guess there aren't that many, you know, dive men who can also space the floor in the league. But Pirtle, you know, he just has never really developed that part of his game. But, you know, if, if John Collins does and you have other shooters around him, maybe you can just use him as a dive guy and you don't need him to, to uh, space the floor at all. And especially if Trey is going to be an elite three point shooter, then, you know, that adds to your offense as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I like your point about not wanting to pay that much money for a center because at the end of the day, if you acquire Adams or Drummond, you are paying a lot. And and those guys might be good. You know, they might help you. They might be really important players. But ultimately, you are paying a lot of money for a center who is not – it's not Rudy Gobert. It's not Carl Anthony Towns. You know, it's not Nikola Jokic. It's not one of these dynamic game-changing forces on either end of the floor. And so – at what you, you kind of have to decide at what point are we better off just going with the cheap guy? You know, you, you have to kind of GMs have to draw that line themselves. Maybe the line is right between Steven Adams and Andre Drummond. You know, maybe it's above Steven Adams. I don't know where that is for Travis Schlenk, but that's something that that GMs across the league are going to have to figure out this year, next year, years to come. Um, and I think, you know, a guy like Pirtle offers you an alternative maybe to paying out the nose for for Adams. You can get maybe. 85% of the impact at 20% of the cost. And, you know, if, if a GM decides that's more valuable than getting a hundred percent of that impact, then yeah, go ahead and pull the trigger. Yeah. And particularly with, you know, if everything works out, if you're the Hawks, you're going to, you're going to want to be paying a lot of money, you know, two or three years from now for Trey Young, John Collins, even Hunter, 
Herder, all those guys. At some point, you're gonna you're, you're gonna want if everything works out to pay those guys. And if you're paying Andre Drummond, you know, thirty five million dollars in year four of a of a contract, uh, it might get a little bit dicey. So just allotment of resources for non elite centers is a topic around the league, I think, and it definitely applies here for the Hawks. Even if I understand the temptation right now, because the Hawks have been so bad at center this year, aside from some Alex Len minutes that. Um, I get why they would want to have that quick fix, but I think long-term there are some questions to raise about whether you want to pay top dollar for, you know, guys who are not Carl Anthony Towns or not Nicole Jokic. I agree. And I think maybe that's where Pirtle helps too, is he can help you in the near term, but also grow with your young core and you can keep him around at a low price. So maybe after talking through it, maybe he is the best option here. Of, I, of I, I really, I really about. do like that option. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know what it would take to get him. Um, and it's not just Pirtle. I, I've always liked Pirtle, so part of that is that for me. But just the kind of the theory of a guy who you can mat, you, have, you have match rights on this summer. I think you can, I think you'll probably get him at a good rate, even in free agency. So yeah, just some stuff to think about there. In general, we, we've done a lot of trade stuff. I, I, last trade question: um, between now and the, and the deadline, there's a lot that's going to happen. I'm sure. If you're Travis Schlank, knowing what we know now, post Teague trade, post Drummond news what what would you be looking to do are you looking to be aggressive now you know they, they made a trade to get better immediately but didn't have to give up much or are you okay kind of just sitting back and letting something fall in your lap and if not just kind of rolling it into the summer I think I'd be fairly aggressive on the center market and you don't want to take up you don't want to take back long-term money or someone who could you know and you could end up paying long-term money too, like Drummond someone like that so it it's it's tricky where like you want to help you want to patch that hole right now, but you also don't want to compromise your future flexibility, put yourself in a position that could backfire in a few years. Um, so I, I still think it, it feels like the Hawks have another move to make for, for me. Like I would I would look to address certain weaknesses because I do think as easy as it is to say they should lose a bunch of games and get a good pick in the draft and and take you know, the, the, whatever player they get, like the highest pick they can get, um, take the best player they can get in the draft. As easy as it is to say that it is really hard to lose games in the NBA as many as the Hawks have. And I think that's another thing I've learned just from being on the beat and around the team is like the toll that it takes to lose that many games one year, let alone three or four, that's a really hard thing to go through. And I think in some ways the Hawks have been hurt by Trey Young's ascendance into, into all-star territory because he got so good so fast that it now feels like they're behind schedule and and they need to kind of compensate and build a team around him immediately and sometimes you lose sight of the the big picture in the long term because of that so if there's internal pressure to appease Trey Young I get that and I think in that situation you want to make some kind of aggressive move to put a better piece around him and kind of solidify that core build a little bit more quickly keep him happy but at the same time, you don't want to lose sight of that long-term vision. And so, it is it in the best is it in the best interest for the Hawks in the long term to be bad this year? Yes, it, it absolutely is. But like, it's it's hard to live through that in the moment, especially when you have one of the eight to ten best offensive, most dynamic players uh, in the league right now in Trey Young. And so, there's some sort of there's some pressure to build around him, but but there's also I guess you, you want to ha- you want to balance that with the patience of of doing what's best for the franchise long term. So I guess the short answer would be if I'm Travis Schlank, I'm I'm mildly aggressive at center 
And then if there's another offer that comes along, you know, like this Teague deal where it's like a no brainer, it's yeah, sure. We can upgrade without giving up too much. You do it. But I don't think you're actively pursuing those types of trades. Yeah, I think that's uh, about where I am as well. And uh, Schlenk did tell Chris Kershaw that he's looking to find guys that will be around past the season. I agree with that. I think any deal in which the Hawks are like actively giving up an asset in a trade, it needs to be for someone who is going to be a part of the longer-term future. Trading anything for a short-term is not going to make a lot of sense to me. Um, this deal is a short-term deal for Jeff Teague, but you gave up nothing. So with, with, with apologies to Alan Crabb, you gave up nothing for Jeff Teague. So I get all that. Okay, uh, before, we, before I let you get out of here, Ben, um, the Hawks have a pair of games on Friday and Saturday, a pretty treacherous back-to-back, by the way. They, they start in San Antonio on Friday night. That's an 8.30 Eastern time tip-off, and then they play at 7.30 at home the next day. One of the more brutal road road home back-to-backs of the season because, obviously, time zones, it's a relatively long flight from San Antonio. It's going to be rough in terms of schedule. But the Hawks do have two, two days off before it. I have to use my stat now, Ben. Uh, I tweeted it already, but the Hawks have not won in San Antonio since February 15th, 1997. I have to believe, and I haven't looked this up, I, I have to believe that's the longest streak in the NBA of a team not winning in a, in a certain building. Um, but that is mind-blowing to me every time I think about it. Every year it comes up in my mentions and it comes up in my mind. Um, Dominique Wilkins was, was on the Spurs that night. Uh, the Hawks had wow. Kevin Matumbo and uh, Christian Leitner and others on their team Kevin that night. Kevin Willis on that squad? Uh, I think he was already gone, mercifully. Okay. Um, but all that to say, I was... Uh, Fairly young. Uh, I do, I do want to ask you this. I, I know I know the answer, but how old were you when this happened, Ben? I was not. You were not. You were I not was, old at all because you were not born. Not alive. Uh, so that kind of tells you everything you need to know. The Spurs have not won. <laughs> uh, sorry, the Hawks have not won in San Antonio since uh, since Ben Ladder was born. So, and by the way, that the last time the Hawks beat the Spurs in San Antonio, Tim Duncan hadn't been drafted yet. Jesus, <laughs> he's retired. And probably one of the ten best players of all time. He had a twenty-year almost you can, career. You can get rid of probably in that sentence. Uh, yeah, I, I love to talk. That's my guy. Um, <laughs> but regardless, it's uh, it's been a while. Uh, I would say the Hawks are capable of winning this game, uh, but Alex Len's not playing, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go to Detroit. How I guess we'll, we'll I'll, st- I'll stop there to say, how do you anticipate them looking in that game? Because you know. By the way, no no Teague and no Graham for the game on Friday. They've been ruled out. They're not going to go there, I don't think. And Alex Lynn didn't travel to San Antonio. So shorthanded, but uh, I think it's still winnable, even if the Hawks are definitely underdogs. Yeah, and it's worth noting, too, the Spurs are worse than they've been in any point over that 22-year span that you mentioned. Yeah, they're so, not very good. I mean, they're, yeah, they're not so terrible either, good. but they're not very good. Right, and, and they were, I mean, obviously, I think everyone knows this, but for, but for people who don't, they were dominant for basically that entire time. So it, it makes sense that they would protect their home floor against the Hawks, who were usually not dominant uh, during that 22 Listen, years they were pretty good sometimes, man. I know I know they you were weren't moments. alive when it happened last time, but uh, no, I'm kidding. But the Hawks actually, for it's actually kind of insane when you think about it. I know how good the Spurs were, but the Hawks were probably good for two-thirds of that time. Yeah. Like, I mean, at least relatively good, like playoff caliber good. They had the whole run. I mean, they had the whole ten-year run. They were still good when it started in '97. At least half the time, they were pretty good, and still, and still never won there, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild, and it's I guess another testament to the the Spurs machine and and their greatness. I what is the deal with some of these back-to-backs? Like the Hawks seem to have 
and maybe it's just I'm so close to it. I haven't looked into. No, every I, other I've actually heard back, this but... around the around the team a little bit. I will not use names or anything, but uh, people, and not just the Hawks. I, I actually asked around the league to some of the teams that were the worst teams last year. Um, it feels like the NBA may have uh, not done any favors to the worst of the worst teams last year. Um, coming into this year, whether they're young and can handle it, or they were tanking, or however how you want to look at it. Um, some of the worst teams from last season have some brutal schedules. The Hawks have had, I think this is like the fourth brutal back-to-back. You know, everybody has back-to-backs, but the Hawks had one earlier that was Chicago to Miami, which was like an absolutely insane one. They've had a couple of these. They played Chicago on back-to-back three times. Um, San Antonio, I mean, I know they I gave the they Hawks the two Spurs days off. on the first night of a back-to-back earlier, right? They did, I believe, yeah. I, I know they gave the Hawks two days off before it, before it which is probably their consolation. But a Friday, Saturday back to back with, you know, 23 hours in between tip offs and you have a, a long flight, like it's one of the worst schedule ones that you're ever going to see in terms of just the actual two games set. And granted, the Hawks do have the Pistons who are not very good right now at home on Saturday, but they're going to be two days rest. They have two days rest. Like the Pistons are not good at basketball at the moment, speaking of Andre Drummond and all that stuff, but they're going to be fresh. I mean, they're on the road and it'll feel like they're probably the fresher team with more energy so yeah the back-to-back thing is very weird and people have noticed around the league not not just the hawks people have noticed how brutal the hawk schedule has been in terms yeah of I, I wonder if if tomorrow is a, a situation friday i'm talking about is a situation where i, I don't want to say like throw the game but I, I wonder if the hawks like kind of punt in some ways where they they're not pressing trey and, and kevin and guys like that heavy minutes because they don't have graham they don't have teague they don't have lynn Maybe you just wait till you're at full strength on Saturday. I think probably kind of... with Lynn, that's probably why he's not going. Not necessarily like, you know, the back thing is what it is. But if you have to choose a game, I think they're probably choosing one of the two for Alex Lynn to play. And why wouldn't it be Saturday? Yeah, like, yeah uh, it just doesn't make sense to travel for one day exactly. with a sore back on a plane. You know that. Yeah. So I, I wonder, like, maybe it's reason to, to try harder in San Antonio because you're shorthanded. And then you get some backups on Saturday to kind of take the pressure off the tired legs. But in some ways, I'd almost rather like if you feel like you're going to lose on Friday anyway, maybe you just kind of you you, you play Trey and, and, and Herter and, and Hunter and all those guys like 32 minutes. And then maybe you press them a little bit harder on Saturday with fresher legs. And it could get to the point where Friday is such a blowout anyway that you, you kind of play those guys 25 minutes anyway. Um, but I wonder if the Hawks kind of save some of their bullets for Saturday when they know they'll have a healthier team. That would not be a bad idea. I don't think. And they're never going to say that out loud. But, uh, yeah, if there's ever a time to do it, that might be a good a good opportunity because Detroit's also very winnable if you show right. up and play pretty well on Saturday. And the Spurs have played well recently, and so... They're that, playing that, better, yes. Yeah, that feels like a game where it's not quite as winnable as it may have looked, I don't know, three weeks ago. Yeah, and looking ahead a little bit, I don't want to do too much on this, but after this weekend back-to-back... Um, in the next, I think it's like 10 or 12 games, the Hawks have a pretty brutal schedule. Uh, I've joked about how easy March is and when that's going to arrive, but they have to get to March first. Um, in the next 12 games, they play the Raptors twice, the Clippers, the Thunder on the road, they play the Sixers, the Mavericks, and the Celtics twice. Now, obviously you can win some of those games, you're allowed, but those are pretty brutal, man. I mean, the Thunder are the worst team on that list, and that, that's a road game, and you're not favored in that game, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, just circle that in terms of schedule stuff. It feels like the Hawks might be turning a corner a little bit based on the way they played Tuesday night. 
Um, I know you wrote about that too, and I enjoyed your look at it. I think you called it maybe the best one of the season. Is that accurate? I think, yeah, I think so. Uh, Kevin Herter called it the most complete win of, or he called it a complete win. And I, I think went a step further and called it the most complete win of the season, which, uh, to me, yeah, just the way they played sustained throughout the entire 48 minutes, you know, there was never a, a, a lapse where they went down by 15 and had to claw their way back or like this huge go up by 15 and then collapse and give it away. Like it was just kind of a, you know, each team made their runs, but the Hawks just played well consistently for the entire game, which is maybe the first time we've seen them do that all t- all season. <laughs> I will get you out of here on this, but uh, does that inspire confidence? Like, how are you feeling in general about the way the team is playing right now? Because obviously there's been so many ups and downs, mostly downs early on in the year. But now, you know, short of Jabari, who's on still a long term injury, everybody's going to be back in the next you know day or two, hopefully, and you'll have a relatively full roster do you feel uh, better than you did about the Hawks now than a couple weeks ago? I don't know. Oh, for sure. A couple weeks ago. Yes. When they were in the middle of a 10 game losing streak. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, I think if you're the Hawks, you have to feel relatively confident. I mean, you, you're not, you're probably not realistically expecting to make the playoffs or anything, but like, I think ever since that Orlando game where they go in and win without Trey young, they play Boston close the next night, basically lose by two. There was a free throw at the end with 0.3 seconds left. You beat Indiana. You play Denver and Houston close. Wizards was a bad loss. Nets, you were shorthanded. Um, but I think there, that's a stretch where, like, you can look at that and say, okay, like, we played well. You know, we we hung with some really good teams and and played complete games. You know, even if you didn't win them, those were also, to use Kevin Herter's phrase, complete games. And so I think kind of carrying that into the Phoenix win and just – getting John Collins back, having Kevin Herter healthy and playing clearly his best basketball of the season. You're bringing in reinforcements with Teague and Graham, mostly Teague, but you know we'll see what happens with Graham. Um, I think this team is, is figuring some stuff out as far as how their offense should look and how it should work. I think there's some some they're finally having the chance to build some, some chemistry. I mean, the beat writers, we've talked about it all year, about how few minutes Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and John Collins have played together this season. And you know, with every game, that number increases. And so the more that goes up, I think the better the team's going to look, the better they're going to play, the more games they're going to win and the better they're going to feel. And so, yeah, they've got a tough stretch coming up. It wouldn't surprise me if they come out of this like, you know, two and 10 in their next 12 games, like you said. But at the very least, like they've, they've proven all year, kind of when they're healthy, that they can hang with good teams. It's really like these, these crapping the bed against the bad teams that, that really, kind of inspires doubt and and kind of drags down the mood around the team but they've I think they've proven like what they can be when they play their best and they're not going to play their best every night but I think they're in a position where they can do that more consistently and so if they give they give everyone their best shot 75% of their games like they're going to they're not going to be a great team like I said they're still they're still bad but at that point you can at least feel better and 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 feel like you're playing good basketball and I think that's the key for the Hawks regardless of the wins and the losses, like if if they just feel like they're playing well and they get the progression they're looking for and they get like the 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 growth and the continuity and just the team play from everybody that they want, I think regardless of the outcomes, I think they got to feel good about that. I tend to agree, and that's probably a good place to uh, get out of here. We did, uh, by the way, behind the curtain, Ben and I were already going to do a podcast tonight. It was not going to be about Andre Drummond and it was not going to be about Jeff Teague. So we just pivoted away from talking points that we had. So at some point, Ben, we'll talk about like normal Hawk stuff for a while on a podcast. Is um, there normal Hawk stuff? Well, that's probably not true, but uh, 
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we were going to talk about like normal, like, you know, how's this player look stuff on the podcast. So I will uh, beg you to come on and do this again very soon. You were uh, gracious to come back as fast as you did. And I told you last time I was going to keep begging you to come on the podcast. So it's not going to stop. Keep asking. I'll, I'll do it anytime you want. <laughs> uh, please plug yourself, my friend. I know you got a lot going on uh, in your world. You're as, you're as busy or busier than I am. So uh, tell people where they can find your, uh, your Hawks work and your NBA work and everything else. Definitely not busier. Um, maybe as busy. That's that's uh, I know you've got you've got a lot more going on than I do. But yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at bladner underscore. Um, it's almost entirely tweets about basketball. So if you enjoy not only the Hawks, but the rest of the NBA, you can you can check that out. Um, SI.com slash NBA slash Hawks is where you can find all my Hawks work. I still do some writing for the step back on basically the NBA as a whole, kind of picking and choosing teams and subjects I find interesting writing about that. Um, read and react podcast, wherever you find podcasts, you can download that rate and review all that good stuff. Uh, that's a friend of mine, John Sauber. We, and I host that show. It's about the entire NBA. We kind of just, you know, it's, it's like almost every other national NBA podcast in terms of format. Um, hopefully it's as insightful, if not more insightful as, as the other ones you listen to. So if you want to check that out, you can. Um, and other than that, I'm around at Hawks games. I'm around on Twitter. Um, and I am around in the world at certain times. (laughs) <laughs> we all are, my friend. Well, follow, follow Ben on the Twitter machine. Follow Ben's work. I, I read Ben, I think, every day. So uh, check out Ben's stuff. Thank he's you. a great. He's a great resource. Um, one of the few people that I, I trust as much as my own eyes when it comes to the Hawks and uh, all that stuff. So thanks, thanks again for doing this, man. We'll do it again very soon. Thank you. That that means a lot. Thank you. I'll, I'll come back anytime you want me. <laughs> now that I've said those, all those nice things, you'll come back. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe. To the podcast we will have new shows after the games on friday and saturday um we'll see how they fare in those spots and uh, as always check check up ch- uh, check out everything on this podcast feed tell a friend etc and we'll see everybody after the game on friday